like to have us turn to our text for this morning, uh, Colossians 1, verses 15 through 23. Colossians 1, 15 through 23, that's on page 954 of uh, the Pew Bibles, if you're following along there. We are wrapping up a 10-part series on the topic of faith and politics uh, this morning, so if you're family members from out of town, in town for the Thanksgiving holiday, I'm sorry that this is the sermon you get to sit in on. Uh, Like I've said, though, What we are trying to do in this series uh, is think about how we as Christians can engage this process we call politics in a Christ-like and Christian way. I am not a political scientist, I'm not a politician, I'm not a lawyer, so I have not, I've tried not to make uh, recommendations on who to vote for. We have not gotten into specific pieces of legislation or judicial decision making. Instead, we have really been trying to reflect together biblically and theologically on what it looks like to engage all areas of our lives, but this area called politics in a Christian way. And so we're wrapping that up this morning. Colossians 1 verses 15 through 23. And this is what the Apostle Paul writes to the church at Colossae as well as to us as the church today. Talking about Jesus, he says, the Son is the image of the invisible God and the firstborn over all creation. For in him all things were created, things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities. All things have been created through him and for him. He is before all things, and in him all things hold together. And he is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning and the firstborn from among the dead, so that in everything he might have the supremacy. For God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in him, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether things on earth or things in heaven, by making peace through his blood shed on the cross. Once you were alienated from God and were enemies in your minds because of your evil behavior, but now he has reconciled you by Christ's physical body through death to present you holy in his sight, without blemish and free from accusation. If you continue in your faith, established and firm, and do not move from the hope held out in the gospel. This is the gospel that you heard, and that has been proclaimed to every creature under heaven, and of which I, Paul, have become a servant. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Sisters and brothers in Jesus Christ, throughout this series, I've had a couple people ask me about its length. Did you mess up the dates or something, they ask? I mean, you missed the deadline. The election was two weeks ago. Shouldn't we be done by now? Well, the election was actually never the deadline for this series. Uh, Truth be told, when I planned these sermons, I actually forgot that there was going to be an election, which I know uh, in our never-ending election cycles these days, how could I forget? But the election really wasn't the deadline for this series. Instead, today is. Not Tuesday, November 8, but instead Sunday, November 20. This was the date, the goal, the end point I always had in mind for this series for one very simple reason. Because today is Christ the King Sunday. Now, if you're not familiar with Christ the King Sunday, and I won't blame you if you're not, Christ the King Sunday is an annual feast day in the Christian liturgical calendar. Held on the last Sunday before Advent every year, it signals the end of ordinary time and the beginning of the coming season of Advent. More importantly, though, it also celebrates Christ's universal rule and authority. 
In short, Christ the King Sunday serves as an annual reminder for us as Christian believers that Christ is King, Christ is Lord, and Christ is ruler over all. As 4th century church father Cyril of Alexandria put it, Christ has dominion over all creatures, a dominion not seized by violence nor usurped, but by his essence and by nature. From this it follows that Christ is to be adored by angels and men, and they must recognize his empire. And so that's what we're doing today. We are recognizing Christ's empire. And that's why we're ending this series today, too. Because as Christ the King Sunday today sums up or encapsulates pretty much everything else that we've been talking about in this series. You see, today is the day that we recognize as Christian believers, in a special way, Christ's unending rule. It's the day we acknowledge Jesus' lordship over everything and everyone. And it's the day in the Christian calendar when we join with other Christian believers all over the world to celebrate the fact that no matter what other authorities may exist or operate in our lives, Christ is our true king and he has authority over even them. And that's what our passage this morning celebrates too. In a nutshell, Colossians 1, verses 15 through 23, celebrates Christ's universal reign, his comprehensive rule, and his all-encompassing control over all things. After all, as the Apostle Paul, the author of this letter, writes in verse 18, in everything Christ has the supremacy. In everything he has the supremacy. It's important that we don't just breeze by that statement. Uh, after all, for those of us who have grown up in the church, that's the sort of thing that we are used to hearing in the church, right? Christ is Lord. Christ is King. He's got the supremacy in everything. Yep, we got it. We know. But do we really know? Do we really slow down and stop to think about that? Do we really stop to reflect on what that means? Because Paul really means that here. He's not just saying that, that Jesus is Lord, that he has the supremacy in all things in a broad kind of general sense in this passage. Instead, when he says that Christ rules over all things here, he really means all things, everything, every single thing in heaven and on earth. That's what Paul is trying to tell us here. He's trying to tell us that this entire creation and everything it contains belongs to Jesus. I don't know if you caught it, but the words all creation, all things, and everything, they get repeated over and over and over in this passage. Those are actually English translations of the Greek phrase ta panta, which literally means the whole thing, the thing in its entirety, the thing and all the parts that make it up. Think about your car, for example, okay? When you say you're going to uh, go somewhere in your car, that you're going to take it for a drive, you don't just mean the steering wheel, right? You don't just mean the gas pedal or the odometer. You don't just mean the tires. Instead, you mean the entire car, the whole thing, and everything inside of it as well. Every part of it. Well, that's what Paul means when he says that Christ rules everything, ta panta here. He means that he rules all things, every single thing. He rules heaven above, he rules the earth below, and he rules everything within them, everything they contain too. 
I like how Dutch theologian Abraham Kuyper famously put it. He said, there is not a square inch in the whole domain of our human existence over which Christ, who is sovereign over all, does not cry, mine. That's how comprehensive Jesus' rule is. And that's what Paul is saying here. He's saying that when it comes to this world, this reality, this creation, Jesus has the ultimate authority over everything that exists. Ta panta, all of it, every part of it, every single thing. He owns it all, rules it all, and controls it all. And he has supremacy in it all. For three reasons. Paul gives three reasons why Christ is supreme over all. First, he's supreme over all because he's the Son of God. Jesus is God himself. And so as God, he is, Christ is King, Lord, and ruler over all things. Second, Paul says that he created it all. Christ made everything. He also keeps it all going, too. He sustains it. And so he is supreme over his creation for that reason, too. And third, he's reconciled it all. Christ has redeemed and renewed everything in creation. That is the basis of Christ's supremacy. That's why he's king. That's why he's Lord, because he's the son of God. He's the creator and sustainer, and he's also the reconciler. Let's dig into each of those a bit more, and we'll start with the first one. Christ is Lord because he's the Son of God. Paul opens this passage with some pretty lofty language here. In verse 15, he writes, The Son is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. Now again, this is the sort of stuff we're used to hearing in church, right? So it's easy to kind of breeze by it. But that's actually a pretty radical statement. You see, what Paul is saying here is that Jesus, a human being like the rest of us, isn't actually just like the rest of us. He's the image of God, yes, but not the way that the rest of us are the image of God. Instead, what Paul is saying here is that Jesus is the true image of God. He's the best image of God. He's the most clear image of God. That's what Paul is saying here. He's saying that Jesus reveals or reflects God in a way that the rest of us simply can't. As Paul says in verse 19, God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in him. And then again in the next chapter, he writes, In Christ, all the fullness of the deity lives in bodily form. And so in other words, what Paul is saying here is that when we look at Jesus, we see God himself. That's Paul's point. Jesus is God's son. And so that's the first reason that Jesus is Lord of all. He is Lord of all because he's God. That brings us to the second reason Jesus is Lord of all, though, which is that because he's God, he's also the creator. As Paul says in verses 15 and 16 here, the Son is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. For in him all things were created, things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities, all things have been created through him and for him. The logic here is actually pretty simple. Uh, what Paul is saying is that Jesus is Lord and ruler over all things because he made all things. All things were created through Christ and for Christ, and so as a result, he rules them all as well. That's actually one of the questions that Sarah and I ask our kids in the children's catechism we use with them, the book, we call it. Every night after dinner, or at least the nights we remember, I'll be honest, we pull the book off the shelf, and we ask our kids a couple of questions. Levi, 
Who made you, we ask? God, he says. Titus can actually do that one too, but it's the only answer he knows, so he just keeps repeating it over and over to every question we ask. Every other question in the book. God, God, God. Yeah, we know, Titus. You got that one. Then comes the second question, though. Levi, what else did God make? And this is where we always have to settle in for a bit because the answer can get pretty long. God made mommy and daddy, he says, and Tai-Tai and those trees and Oma and Opa and Grandma and Grandpa and my friend Reese and his parents and their family and our dog Emma, who I don't like. <laughs> they have a love-hate relationship. And the sky and the snow and the clouds and our church, and you get the idea because it normally goes on for a good minute or two before he finally caps it off with an emphatic, God made everything. I'm biased, but it's super cute. But he's also right, because that's exactly it. God did make everything. He did create it all. He did put it all together and set it going. And as God's son, Jesus was part of that process too. But not only did Jesus create it all, he also sustains it all. In verse 17, Paul writes, He, that's Christ, is before all things, and in him all things hold together. So not only did Jesus make everything, but he also keeps it all going. He upholds it. He sustains it. He maintains it so that this world doesn't go spinning off into chaos. As theologian Hanley Mool once put it, Christ keeps the cosmos from becoming a chaos. And that's right, he does. It might not always seem that way to us. After all, this world is a far cry from the one we want, right? But we need to remember that without Christ, it would be a whole lot worse. And so that's the second reason Christ is Lord of all. He's Lord of all because he made it all and he sustains it all. That brings us to the third reason Jesus is Lord of all which is that not only did he make and sustain it all, but he's also reconciled it all. Paul writes in verses 18 through 20 here, and he, that's Jesus, is the head of the body of the church. He is the beginning and the firstborn from among the dead, so that in everything he might have the supremacy. For God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in him, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether things on earth or things in heaven, by making peace through his blood shed on the cross. You see, like we said, Christ made all things, right? He made all things, and his scripture tells us he made them good. In fact, he made them very good. And he made us as human beings very good too. And yet it turns out that God's goodness wasn't quite good enough for us. We wanted something different. We wanted something more. Put simply, we wanted things our way rather than God's way. And so rather than live according to God's will, we rebelled against him and plunged ourselves and his entire creation along with us into sin, death, and despair. And God could have left us there. In fact, he would have been well within his rights to simply leave us in that sin, death, and despair as sinful people. But he didn't. Instead, he sent his son, Jesus Christ, to come and live among us, to take the punishment for our sin, to die in our place, and then to rise to new life so that we and the rest of this creation could experience new life too. 
In short, Christ came to redeem, renew, and reconcile this world back to God. And so that's the third reason Jesus is Lord of all. He's Lord of all, not only because he's the Son of God, and not only because he's the creator and sustainer either, but because he's the reconciler of all things as well. He is the one who has restored us to the relationship with God that we were meant to have. Now, if that's all true, and I believe that it is, then the fact is that that has massive implications for our lives, right? David Garland puts it this way in his commentary on this passage. He writes, if Christ is Lord over all creation, then Christ is also Lord over every aspect of human life. This includes our social world, our Christian community, and our physical environment, as well as everything else, too. Paul's point here is that Jesus is Lord over all of who we are. There is no part of this world, no part of our lives, no part of anything else that Jesus does not rule. He rules our families and friendships, our jobs and our finances, our studies and free time, and everything else, too including our politics. That's really all I've been laboring to say in this series. We've been coming at it from multiple different angles, but that's pretty much been my whole point. That's been the takeaway. That's what I've wanted us to walk away from this series with. Christ is Lord. Christ is King. Christ is ruler overall. And that is true of regardless of what happens in this thing that we care about called politics. You see, and I think... I think this is hard for us to remember sometimes. But regardless of whether uh, the Republicans are in power or the Democrats, whether an election goes our way or not, whether the side we like wins or loses, that is still all true. Christ is still king. Even if we feel like our entire country is going uh, in a direction that we don't want it to, which sometimes, at some point, we all feel, right? we can still rest assured because Jesus is still Lord. Jesus still rules. Jesus still has the supremacy in all things. That's something that, quite honestly, I think Christians today, at least Christians in this country, need to do a better job of remembering. For a whole host of reasons, and we've talked about a few of them in the, in, earlier in this series, but Christians today, especially evangelical Christians, and especially evangelical Christians in North America, have gotten so caught up in politics. We seem to think it's the only game in town, right? That's how we talk about it, after all. Every election is the new most important election we've ever had. Every election is the most significant. Every election is our last chance to save this country as if saving this country was really the mission or goal of the church. We need to remember that regardless of what happens in our political landscape, Christ is Lord, Christ is King, and he still rules over everything, and nothing can touch his rule or reign. Which brings us to the gospel this morning. I tried about 45 different ways to write the gospel out to end this sermon until I realized that Paul did it for me. That's because in verses 21 through 23, he writes this. Once you, that's all of us, 
were alienated from God and were enemies in your minds because of your evil behavior. But now he, God, has reconciled you by Christ's physical body through death to present you holy in his sight without blemish and free from accusation. If you continue in your faith, established and firm, and do not move from the hope held out in the gospel. This is the gospel that you heard and that has been proclaimed to every creature under heaven and of which I, Paul, have become a servant. My friends, that is the gospel that we have become servants of too. We have become servants of the gospel, servants of our Lord, and servants of the King it proclaims, Jesus Christ. Remember that. Remember that we are servants first and foremost, not of America or a certain political party or our preferred candidate, but of God, of the gospel, and of Jesus Christ, our true authority, ruler, and king. Thanks be to God. Amen. Will you pray with me? Lord, in this world, we are, we are tempted in the same way we were in the beginning. We are tempted to take things into our hands. That was the sin of Adam and Eve, and it is our temptation still today to try and take control and do things our way. And we are tempted to do that with politics as well, to make, to make it the true way that we will rule and steward and care for this world. Help us to remember humbly that regardless of what happens in this thing we call politics, you still rule and we are your servants. We pray this in the name of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ.